Welcome to Regulars Anonymous. With host Zachary Landry. Sitting down with the people who are standing in line behind you at the grocery store. And hearing what they have to say. My name is Mike and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> are you now? I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Today's actually Katie's birthday. One year today that she stopped. Oh, congratulations. Drinking. Yeah, yeah. It was a... Uh, a year ago at this time was a very different world. Really? Yeah. She'd been very sick for a long time. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool. That's a really great thing. I celebrated that today with her. And um, I've been seven years now without a drink. And I even just stopped smoking pot a couple months ago. How's that been? Good. I've never felt addicted to pot the way that... Uh, Alcohol. Uh, alcohol and cigarettes, like cigarettes no, cigarette. or, or a bear, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but I never felt addicted to pot, and I always wondered if I was just lying to myself the way us addicts do, you know, but it was pretty simple. Just made the decision. And the flu helped me, though, because it got my lungs, and it was like, oh, you know, maybe you should stop doing that a little. So, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. What If I can ask, what was your relationship like alcohol with? Oh. To... Well, I just wrote my first, not my first song, I just wrote another song about it, and um, it's a song about my first drunk. I think I was six, and my dad used to come home from work and, and pop a, a long neck Calgary Buffalo beer with a horseshoe on it, have a sip, put it on the table, and go get cleaned up. And uh, this one time I decided that I needed the beer more than he did, and he had a sip, put it on the table, and I grabbed the beer and went and hid behind the couch and gulped her down and yeah i don't remember much after that <laughs> Fair enough. so but i started young and uh my biological dad was a, was a was a was a drinker and a drunk and um left my family right when i was born pretty much and left my mom on a, on her own with three kids so she had a real uh uh bone to chew with alcohol and i grew up pretty much being told that i was going to follow in his footsteps so of course i I fought against that and uh, by drinking to prove them wrong. <laughs> and 58 years later, I was able to stop. And uh, there was lots of adventures and ups and downs in between. And lots of dry periods, too, where I did stop. But usually for fear of losing family or things like that, you know, just it wasn't, all, it wasn't my idea until the last time. Mm -hmm. And then once it was my idea and I accepted it and I knew that it was going to take me you know yeah the way it does um and i couldn't deny it anymore then then i was able to to deal with it right Fair. so i went to aa i did 90 meetings in 90 days i recommend that for anybody who thinks that they're they're at that spot where they want to want to quit anything i have a friend who got off cocaine the same way mm -hmm. and it sounds like Nothing, but to make yourself, when you're recovering, especially a freshly recovering alcoholic or addict, to make yourself go to those 90 meetings every day for 90 days, um, there's lots of excuses that get in your way, lots of reasons that you can come up with. But I found that once you, once I made that turn in my head that I wasn't going to, or that I was an alcoholic, that, and, I, and, I, and I absolutely accepted that as the truth. 
um, then I wasn't able to accept those excuses and I and talk myself out of going to the meetings anymore because I knew what, what I knew what the truth was mm-hmm. right so um, yeah and I got through that in the same time I went to Alberta mental health and they had counseling there and I had a great counselor and she helped me kind of sort through things like did I need AA for the rest of my life was it the end all how do I you know so and and a lot of it had to do with the work uh, you know going back and writing things out and and looking at it on paper and being truthful with yourself and and uh, it's part of the 12-step recovery program um, I don't remember what it's called but uh, basically you're taking an inventory of yourself mm-hmm. accountability accountability yeah 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 and and uh, and in a way that you're not coloring it with, you know, yeah, I did this, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's try just to like, justify it's it. It's just, I did this. Yeah. Yeah. Own it. Own it. Yeah, own it. And and through that, you're able to, you're able to determine how much of it you really should own because I think as humans, not just as addicts, as humans, we own a lot of stuff we don't need to. We carry a lot of shit with us that we don't need to. So, um, um I got songs about that too, you know, mm-hmm. that, about letting go of the baggage, and uh, and th- and through that inventory process and the, um, that stuff, it's a way of sorting through that and figuring out, okay, I do need to own this, and can I fix it? Can I make amends? Yes, I can. Well, then, then you then you make the choice to do that, right? And and sometimes you can't. The person you wronged is dead or. You know, lots of reasons why you can't do it too. But, um, but yeah, so that's part of it. And then kind of getting rid of that baggage takes a lot of the weight away so that when you do have the cravings, because they always come, it's easier to just deal with the craving and not have all that other baggage follow suit. Yeah. And, and that other baggage can, you know, in terms of guilt and remorse and all those things, um, it, it can help the addict lie to himself or herself and, and, and get back into that pattern of, of uh, self-deception. We're, we, we are insane. Our, our thoughts are insane when we're addicts. We will say and do anything and justify it in our own minds in order to use. And it's only once we can become clear of that, that and, and accept the fact that 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 is happening, and uh, I think that's when you, that's when you're able to turn the corner. Nobody, not everybody gets there, right? So yeah, yeah. So last year, Katie was um, she was close to not being here. Mm-hmm. I almost lost her, you know, and she almost lost her life, and uh, and it just took her down into such a death spiral, you know, emotionally and spiritually and physically for sure, and all of those things. Um, she almost didn't come out of it. So, yeah. but but with the help of the medical system and and um, the programs that are in place and AA, you know, and things like that, um, she's been she's been in recovery for a year. So, but it's still not easy. No. Yeah. Yeah. How do you find it on your end after seven years? Well, um, I think. I think for me, um, 
it kind of rolled into, um, it, it also coincided with a big change in my life, you know, where my marriage ended and drinking was a big part of that too. It wasn't all of it, but it was certainly a big part of it. Um, but then my musical career started to take over and I started to write songs and I was able to express a lot of my feelings in what I wrote. And, mm. and I, and I play a lot of those songs often. And, uh, um, I think, um, my situation is maybe a bit unique that way in, in that I, I kind of naturally found an avenue to express, um, a desire to help other addicts, which is a part of recovery, is working with other addicts and things like that. So it kind of gives me um, the feeling that I'm that I'm helping other addicts by being honest about it, by being honest about my experience and you know and my role in it and and uh, my recovery, you know. And um, last year I got to uh, uh, do a song that. Uh, my friend Curtis Pagu did an EP for me, with me, <clears throat> and one of the songs on there is called My Badge, and it's about recovery. And the Red Deer Dream Center was opening and having their gala grand opening, and they invited me to come and perform it for them. So that was a real cool thing, and, and they're all about recovery, and uh, it's a faith-based recovery center, uh, so it's a little bit different than, than AA. Um, but still out there, you know, trying to help addicts who need the help and uh, so yeah I think for me as a sober person now I feel like um, because I've, I've I've enjoyed a little bit more public exposure now because of the music more people are aware of me and and um, I feel like it's it's they kind of go hand in hand mm-hmm. you know now the album that you put out was it last year the full album or the C- the EP? The uh, the full album. Yeah, that was released in October of 2020. So okay. right, right in the, oh. right at the beginning of COVID. Oh, sorry, my okay. bad. I yeah. didn't get oh. that vinyl till later. No, that was my bad. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> you had asked me for it a few times, but I yeah, yeah. I kept missing. Yeah, I kept missing. Uh, but yeah, but that was the last uh, album that I listened to on my record player before it broke. So I do believe you owe me a new record player. Oh, probably but, do. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> We just it, we just bought one off Amazon. Yeah, for a hundred bucks, works okay. Nice, weighs about an ounce. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I know you can't you can't be very aggressive with it, yeah. but yeah. But uh, listening to that, it felt like a very. It was just very. It felt honest. Yeah that uh, that album. Uh, first of all, it was produced here in Red Deer by Heath West of Melodious Design, and and um, he's just a. Uh, an incredibly gifted individual and uh, deeply spiritual, deeply uh, emotional. Uh, he just really is connected to the work that he does and serves the artist. Um, his only purpose is to serve the artist and the song um, or the soundtrack to to uh, you know the video or whatever he's working on. Um, and I met him. I was introduced to him by a, another local musician, Ryan Holmadal, that I met at the very first open mic I went to. Um, because prior to that open mic, it was in, I think it was early in 2017, it was at a place called Roosters here in uh, Red Deer. It's not open anymore. And they had a Monday open mic, and I almost didn't walk in, but my nephew had talked me into joining him in a duo. 
and we'd practiced a few times and and he said he told me he said you need to go to open mics and get behind a mic because you've never performed before and and you need that experience before we can do a gig and so I went to that open mic and it really was the it 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 um I instantly felt connected to the place and the people and what was going on there um and and I was welcomed with open arms, so that helped a lot. Redeer music community is very special in that way. I think it's very welcoming to new to new people, uh, and very supportive. Um, but I met Ryan at that first open mic. I basically went, sat down beside him, and within a few minutes, we were we were like best friends. You know, I just we had so much in common. And he was working on a project <clears throat> uh, with Heath uh, called Tethers. And uh, he got that album produced uh, by Heath. And so I started talking to him about the process and everything. And about the same time, I finished, I, I wrote my first song. Um, I had started the song in 2010. Unbeknownst to me, I was starting a song back then. I was really expressing my feelings on paper for the first time in, that I can recall doing it in my lifetime. My daughter was in a lot of trouble, and I was quite... I was in a lot of angst about it. I didn't know what to do. And as a father, that's a really shitty place to be, you know, if you don't know what to do for your kids, right? <clears throat> and um, and then after my marriage failed in 2016, I found myself going to this open mic and I had a little bit of exposure to some original music, musicians, and I finished that song. So it was took seven years to finish that song. Um, but then I decided I wanted to meet this Heath guy that Ryan had worked with and talk to him about getting it produced because the song is, was written for my ex-wife, you know, who was instrumental in raising my daughters. You know, we did mm -hmm. that together and, and we did okay, you know, yeah. and she was a major part of that. So, um, and I felt probably guilty that the marriage had ended and I wanted to pay tribute somehow to it. So we talked about that and we decided, Heath and I, that we would record that song. And then uh, a year later, I wrote another song. And a year after that, I wrote another song. And then in February of 2020, I wrote uh, the fourth song, um, FASD, Fetal Alcohol Syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Heath and I started talking about doing an EP. And then COVID hit. Lots of downtime. Lots of downtime. So I was sitting in my home. And the songs just started coming. And by April, May, I think, May, maybe maybe June, I had 10 songs. And so we decided that if I sold my my other car, I could use that money for the album and, and we could do an album. So that's what we did. And so the album was actually the very first 10 songs. And, and you're right, they were very much, they were songs about like fetal alcohol syndrome you know we worked as foster parents and I didn't know that song was in there but it came out and uh, the the song from my ex-wife there's a song about our breakup there's a song for my daughters there's a song for Katie on there you know um they were definitely songs about my experiences right mm -hmm. and so yeah so yeah that's where that one came from and it's been out since October 2020 um um I'll always be very proud of it. Uh, Should be. I, I know, thank you. I never I never 
expected it. I never saw it coming. I really never saw any of this music thing that I'm doing coming. But I've always played, you know. It's always been a, a part of my my makeup. Mm-hmm. Usually around a campfire. Usually yeah. drinking. Yeah. 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 Good good training. Yeah. <laughs> so what age did you start playing guitar? I think I was 14. I've thought about that before. And I think I was 14 and I got an old beat-up guitar and... Um, uh, somebody, somebody told me, uh, if you're going to learn to play guitar, learn how to play House of the Rising Sun, because all the chords are in there, and it's not an easy song. Mm-hmm. And that's the one I focused on playing. So I learned several of the, of the common, you know, major chords and a few minor chords. And, and from there, it just became a matter of if I heard a song, I'd figure out if it was in these three chords or these three chords and just kind of muddle my way through it. And that's how I played for most of my life was just... I never followed musicians. I never. Uh, it turns out that that throughout my life, I was very much attracted to certain musicians, like Jackson Brown and Harry Chapin and Jim Croce. You know, great singer songwriters, um, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Young. Yeah. And yeah, so that's kind of how it all began, and and then my nephew got a hold of me. Yeah. He said, Uncle Mike, it sounds like you need some guitar therapy. Why don't you come out? <laughs> and he had an ulterior plan. And we did, uh, we our duo, we called Woodstuck. And we played around Red Deer area for about, well, from that 2017 to uh, March 6th, 2020 was the last show that we did together. And then he moved. So I was on my own, but... I've never been on my own with this music thing. The community has just uh, really embraced me. Um, Curtis did the EP last year for me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we we paid the musicians and things like that, but he 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 did it. He 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 didn't want anything other than to be a part of it. Um, Heath is now doing the second album with me. We've got the drum tracks down, and. Um, uh, next step will be to get a a, a, a musician from Calgary, uh, whose name is Mitch J, and he's uh, one of the one of the most sought after session players in Canada. Really, he's just he plays six or seven different stringed instruments flawlessly, and and uh, I'm so very fortunate that he wants to be a part of it. And yeah, and there's some local legends from Red Deer and. Yeah, I'm just so fortunate. And my nephew, Justin, was on that first album, uh, lead guitar. And uh, I'm going to find a way to get him on this next one, too. Cool. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is. And then the fans have been great. I've had fan support um, from that very first open mic I went to. I just I just had my birthday at the Velvet Olive here in town, which you know very well mm-hmm. as uh, as one of the coolest places on the planet. And uh, it was filled up with people who, it was a very Mike-friendly crowd, let's put it that way. (laughs) But some of those people were at that very first open mic, and they've been with me ever since. My wife, Katie, we met at that open mic a little later, uh, found we had common interests. We were both coming out of long-term marriages, and it just made sense to be together, and we've been together ever since and haven't looked back. And and her support, I mean, through COVID, I, I sat there and played 
hours and hours and hours every day and she, she never ran out screaming so so you know um she's she's been amazing and uh i i was given a gift and it took me a long time to accept that as as a truth and i would hear people you know when they said to me thank you for sharing your gift and it was really awkward and uncomfortable I was like yeah but i think the open mics also taught me some humility and and seeing people get up on stage and pour in their hearts out who don't have a natural singing ability, yet they're still up there doing their thing. And it took me a a couple times to get out of my own head, you know, get my ego out of the way and and recognize what the real truth and what the real beauty of those things was, was, was that. It's just, it's just people loving music for the sake of loving music because that's what they love, you know, and, and, and they want to get up there and sing. So the fact that I'm able to sing, I, I didn't do that. I didn't. It just happened. I just, I just, I just got lucky. Yeah. You know, so. But now you're using it. And now I, I am. And I'm, and I feel like I'm using it in a positive way. And I, you know, and, uh, I feel like I need to do more. Um, this next album is going to be grittier. It's going to have more, not so much opinions. I don't want my songs to have an opinion per se, but I definitely want them to 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 get people thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a song called "What If" that's absolutely about war and 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 the the, the killing of children and tough stuff. You know, um, there's songs about addiction. There's songs about addiction and and there's songs about. Oh, I said that twice, <laughs> <laughs> but there's um. I can't even remember all the songs that are on there, but, uh, you know, the truth is another one. There's a song on there about the truth. Um, it's so hard to find, you know, and, and, and hard to know if what you're listening to is the truth, whether it's, you know, highly, um, you know, investigated news media or, or mainstream news media or, or you know this expert or that expert, or it just seems like there's no clear cut. It's really, really yeah. a really convoluted world. Yeah, and yet we've we've never been more connected. Uh, so so obviously they kind of go hand in hand. Those two things, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't know if human beings are ready to be that connected. We are, whether yeah. we like it or not. Yeah, we sure are. So you know, I think this next album. Is going to be. I think I think it's definitely going to be a folk album, and it's and it's going to have things to say, and it's probably going to, you know, not sit well with everybody. Mm-hmm. And and I and as a, as a performer, I think I need to be okay with that. Yeah, you know, I'm just. And the songs just come. They you know, very few of my songs are structured or, or really thought out. It's usually based on a. A feeling, you know, I've seen this TV program or a news news footage of of the, the the murders of children i don't know how else to say it you know um in the middle east is you know it's just it's just crushing what, what you see there and it just it comes out it just you know all of a sudden i'm writing and and uh, and i think there's a reason that's happening yeah i like that you really started taking your music seriously later in life because it's given you have well you've lived a life you know you're not 
a 14 year old talking about 14 year old issues or whatever maybe that is and that's great too because you know they'll develop you know their abilities as they come along but i like the idea that you started leaning into it in the past few years and really taking it seriously i think um i and i've had that thought in my head too that i i I couldn't have done this as a young man. Mm. I did not have the maturity or the, or I wasn't connected to the world in any kind of way, shape, or form. I think I've always been an artist, but have tried to fit into that other linear side of things where that's structured and you need to figure out what you're going to do by this time and, and you got to be somebody and this is how you do things and everything. And it's always felt like a clash. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but there have been artists that, you know, like Bob Dylan started writing amazing songs when he was quite young. He had that ability to just express himself honestly and was connected to the world. And there was lots going on in his world back then too, you know, with <clears throat> with war and crooked government officials and same kind of stuff. But, excuse me, <clears throat> um, that couldn't have been me. Mm-hmm. I was not a... I don't think I started really maturing until I had kids and I was in my 30s. Mm-hmm. When there was something outside of yourself. Yeah. And then I went through that period of my life, raising a family, um, very focused on that and building a career and, you know, and coming out of a, a haphazard youth, I didn't have a lot to build a career on. I didn't have an education. I didn't have a dream. I didn't have anything in my head. I was still kind of all over the place, right? But life has a way of kind of steering you in a direction. And I got a knock on my door one day living in Lacombe, and we, we, uh, I'd, I was running out of pogey, and I, and I didn't have any job prospects, and I'd been looking. And I finally just threw up my hands one day, and I thought, well, I got enough money for this month, and I'll just play with the kids. And the girls were little then, so we started playing hide-and-seek, and all of a sudden there was a knock on the door, and the neighbor offered me a job at Woody's RV World, and I ended up working there for about 27 years. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's funny how life will sometimes just uh, give you what you need. Either kick you in the ass or, or steer you in the right direction, you know. And, you know, yeah. and uh, yeah, and that was, uh, that was not my doing. I've, I've come to understand that this really isn't my plan, mm-hmm. this whole and if it was, it, it would have made a, you know, it would have been a, a complete mess, you know. And it doesn't feel like it's a complete mess. I, it feels like it's all been leading to where I am now. So, yeah, yeah. and and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, and, you know, it's 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 nice to have that feeling of of direction or purpose or whatever you want to call it. Or, I mean, I've never been more broke. In my life, having a late season divorce like that wasn't good for for the for the retirement plan. <laughs> and then with COVID and you know um, everything just and bad decisions on my part. I've never been good with money. Mm-hmm. That abstract thinker thing didn't line up with the linear banker thinking thing. And but you know, at the end of the day, I've never been. I don't think I've ever really felt more grounded in where I am as a, as a, as a person than I am now. So I'm grateful for that, for sure. That's a good place to be because once, once you reach that, I don't know if it reach or hit that spot, 
but then do you feel like like this is like a new starting point or a has been oh yeah i uh, there's no question uh yes um i think you know during the working years you know through woodies and everything like that and um I think I looked at retirement as a time of rest. I was, you know, you get there and you go, okay, put your feet up and go. Uh. But the other side of that is working in a in the RV industry and in sales. You met a lot of people who were retiring, and you saw a lot of them die, mm-hmm. not long after they retired. Yeah, um, more so the men than the women. Uh, I, I've known lots of widows through that business, and um, and that kind of freaked me out a little bit too but i feel like my path is completely completely different from from that um now i i, I don't look at what I'm, i i don't look at being re- as even though i just turned 65 a couple of days ago and now i have a little government pension and all that kind of stuff which is cool you know that's going to help me with my music mm-hmm. i feel like um the dream is very much alive and the work is really just beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been seven years now, uh, almost seven years since that first open mic, and I've written close to a hundred songs, and uh, and they're not all great, <laughs> but I think a lot of them, I think half of them could end up on on albums. You know, um, but then you got to figure out how you make that work too, because it's, it's it's an expensive world to be a musician in, yep. and uh, everybody wants a piece and. Uh, and I haven't figured out that side of it at all yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's the important thing. You have something to work on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What, what is it? What did my cousin tell me? A lot of people don't have something to retire to. They just think of it as I'm done work. This is it. Yeah. But nothing to look forward to other than that. Yeah, and now from where I'm looking at it, I can't imagine what that would be like. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a scary place to be. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Um, I think I'm at the point where. Um, I, well, first of all, I don't want to go anywhere. I I I love life, and I and I and I hope to live um, much longer than my 65 years, but. You know, if it were to end um, suddenly or or whatever, um, I I think I would feel I think I would feel much better about myself now, having having had these past seven years um, to to evolve into this singer songwriter who and and I have this work now that is out there. And and I know that the songs connect with people because I've had the, the people contact me from coast to coast across Canada. That that uh, hey, I heard this song. I just wanted to let you know. You know, um, so those are very special communications to get. You know, um, so I know that the songs are out there, and that and that and that I I will have left something that that maybe touches people the way that some of the songs of my life have touched me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I've lived a very wonderful life here in Canada, you know, 
being born in Alberta, or not, or not born in Alberta, I was born in Winnipeg, but I came to Alberta when I was about a year old. And, you know, I lived in the best part of the world, and clean water and heat yeah. and food. and um, Everything you just, need. Yeah, I mean, just a very, very, very... I mean, if everybody in the in the world had had have had had what I've had, you know, that would be a wonderful thing, you know. So I feel very very lucky that way too. So, like I said, I don't want to go anywhere, and I feel like I still have lots to say and do and and experience, and um, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Do you have a favorite show that you played? Hmm. Well, I can tell you that my favorite type of shows are the real intimate ones. And um, um, it's it's quite an experience as a songwriter when you're playing. Um, and for me, when I play, um, I, I kind of fall into the song. I, I, I was told early in this and I and I came to understand early that it's not about me it's about the song and it's about serving it uh, to its utmost that you can at, at that moment in time every every shows a little different energy or or you know what you dealt with going into that show or things like it it all has a, an effect but if you can just sit down and go into the into the song and just kind of so quite often um, I, I keep my head down and, and, and probably more than I should. I know people like to have a little bit more connectedness, but quite often once the song is over and I, I look up, it's, it's obvious that the song has had an impact on the room. Um, I got to do a couple shows with some of my really dear friends, Horian Hallmadal and Curtis Pugu, who I've mentioned. Also Levi Cuss. We did a, a singer-songwriter round called Four Rooms. And we got to do a show at Bows that was incredible. Um, and and when we walked up on stage that, that night, uh, the, the stage manager, Dustin, stopped us and said, hey guys, we just found out that you're the last show after this. COVID is shutting us down again for the oh. second time. So, and, and, um, and there was restrictions going on. So it was a full house for COVID, which I think 130 people or so. So a big crowd for me. Um, and, uh, and it was just an incredible show. So that would definitely be a highlight show for me. And a matter of fact, I did a, a video with a friend of mine, Corey Gomez, who's brilliant. Uh, we did a video for a song I wrote called Remember When, which was really about that show and the shutdowns and the effect of losing that audience, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the audience losing the music, you know. It was a really weird time for everybody. And for me, as an emerging artist who just started a few years before that and just started getting a body of work, it was totally different, COVID, for me because... I sat home and wrote and played and, and that's what I was supposed to be doing. But for the performers who had been doing it years, decades to have that taken away, it was a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. So my understanding of COVID and, and it's meaning, uh, from my perspective, 
I didn't mesh with, I, I didn't have that, that understanding um, of what the other artists were going through, whether they be dancers or comedians or, or people who are used to getting up and standing in front of an audience and playing their guitar um, and getting that interaction and that response because we live off that, you know, and, and um, so that was part of my learning experience too. If it was taken away from me now, I would, I would definitely feel differently about it than I did then, mm. and uh, and it would be very difficult. So, so that show, the Bow Show, um, I think one of the favorite shows that I've been to though was in 2017 at a place in town that's not open anymore. Uh, we lost so many places. Um, you know, through COVID and stuff, but the International Beer House. And uh, I went there and I saw a singer-songwriter around. And until that night, I didn't even know there was such a thing. I, I really lived under a rock musically my whole life. Um, Curtis Bagu was in it. And um, Levi Cuss was up on stage. And there was John Guliak, I think, and Kimberly McGregor, um, who I follow now. Kimberly, I think, is amazing. And... Um, I was just absolutely enthralled. And I've said many times in the little bios that I've written about myself, because nobody writes them about me, so I've had to write my own, <laughs> which is weird too, right? But I've said many times in those that it was the moment that I finally knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was 58 years old. There we go. <laughs> and, and that's the truth of it. And, uh, and, and I think what made um, that Bo show really special was I was on stage with Curtis and Levi that were in that first show. So it was really a full circle moment for me and such a meaningful show with COVID, the shutdown. The fans were just, you know, even though the Bose is a big room, the fans were just deathly still and connected and, and it was just utter, you could hear a pin drop. Didn't matter who was doing their song. And uh, yeah, so I think maybe that would probably be the one. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And I love hearing artists talk about those shows because those really are special moments. Yeah. When everything is connected and really going on, and especially the fact that you were the last show before COVID, that's, this is, a, remember this because you're not going to get it for a while. Yeah. Second shutdown, I guess. I love that video we did. It. Um, I, I approached Brennan. Well, first I approached Corey Gomez mm -hmm. about shooting it, because uh, again, I, I'm not a I'm not a wealthy person. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely an indie artist and a struggling one. But um, Corey's been absolutely. Uh, a, a, he's given me so much in terms of his skill and his expertise and his time, uh, and I should have paid him far more than I have. Um, um, but he's been really excited about being part of the songs too. So that, that's, that's, that's awesome. And then once I knew Corey was in, in on it and, uh, the idea of the song, the show was something he thought that he could pull off. I talked to Brennan at Bose and asked him if there was any way we could use his venue. <laughs> Please. The lovely setup that you have down yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they have a wonderful stage and, and a huge investment in lighting and sound. Um, 
And not only did Brennan open his doors to us that morning, it was a cold winter morning. Uh, we went in the morning to do it because we thought the sunlight coming in from the east through the front windows would have a nice effect, and it did. <clears throat> Actually, we didn't think that. Corey Gomez thought that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and it's just me up on stage with my guitar singing a song I wrote. It's called Remember When. And I even let my hair down for that one. And uh, and uh, <laughs> and Ryan and uh, Ryan Cooley and Billy. Oh God, I wish I could remember his name. Ryan did sound and he played back the soundtrack. Heath West did the soundtrack for me on 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 a shoestring budget and did a brilliant job of this song and it came together and I just, it's my favorite video that we've done so far. And, and, uh, and it always takes me back to that bow show and it, and it takes me back to COVID and how easy it is for things to change. So, yeah. Yeah. And cause for myself, I am much more, uh, grateful and aware of any time that I go to a show or I've made more of an effort to go out of my way to see shows yeah. that before, Oh, I'll catch it next time or whatever. Maybe I may, I've got something to do in the morning, make made some sort of excuse not to go see. And I'm like, now I've just been crossing them off the list where I do not want to miss anything. Yeah. And I'm going to force myself. <laughs> I th I think we're seeing that. I think, um, the other side of that too is I think the musicians, and I, I speak of musicians. There's obviously all different types of entertainers and theater, and you know, and wonderful people involved in all those things. But my world is music, so that's kind of where I go mm -hmm. to, right? And I and I'm seeing that all the musicians are out there, whether they're superstars or what, they're all working. They're all taking advantage of the the places to play and and getting with people. And I, the other side of that is the people are going to the shows. And and in a world that's so expensive, yeah. you know, and it's easy to stay home and, and not spend that 20, 30, 40 bucks, right? And um, people are finding a way to go and, and still live their lives and, and bring into their lives what's important to them. And uh, I think, you know, if, if there was a positive ripple effect from COVID, that could very well be. Yeah. Could could be one, anyways. Because I know for me, I, I'm making a point of supporting an artist more now. You know, whether it's through a, a GoFundMe or buying more merch or going all the way to see a show. But it, it's more intention behind. I want, I need these people to succeed to whatever degree that they're going to, so that I can see them again when yeah. they when they're in town. And I just hope that keeps going. Right? Well, there's a lot of amazing performers, and and I I go to shows often. Um, less, the busier I get as an entertainer, the less I get to go to. That's that's the other and, side of it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I still find ways to go to some, and um, and and yeah, I wouldn't have before. Yeah, I, I there's a large part of my life I had no. If I went to see something, it was usually um, more to do with opportunity than than planning, mm -hmm. and uh, or somebody took me along and, and it was like, oh, that was cool, right? Yeah, you know. So, um, yeah, but it's different now. Now it's intentional. Yeah, active engagement. Yeah.
now you did a show at Red Heart. Um, was it in July? Where you played with a band? Oh, yeah, it was in September, yeah. Oh, September. <clears throat> yeah. I, I've got some real cool things happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the band is certainly one of them. Um, the Mike Zabo band? No, it, <laughs> I didn't know. That was part of the process. Was I, It's funny because um, uh, Curtis Pergu, uh, he produced the EP Rolling Home and, um, and utilized musicians, local musicians that are very well known, but incredibly, incredibly talented, gifted individuals. Um, Jeremy Duty on electric guitar. Rob Goodwin on drums, and uh, Morgan McKee on keyboards, and of course Curtis himself on harmonies and and bass guitar. Those four individuals have been playing together for 12, 13 years in a group called the Heartbroke Heroes. So they're an established rhythm section, and they also have um, felt a connection to the songs that I've written, and um, through the through the EP process and having them come in and do their, you know, the tracking and everything like that, um, we decided that we were going to have a, a showcase mm -hmm. and we we're going to Mike Zabel and the Heartbroke Heroes. Um, the really cool thing about that is it's going to keep going. And, and uh, we did that show at Red Heart, very small stage for five of us to be on, <laughs> yes. but it was amazing. <laughs> and it was, a, you know, it's a small room, but it was a full house. Uh, we actually sold one more ticket than, than what we thought we had to sell. So I don't know how we did that, but, um, and it turned out to be one of those, I mean, it's really high up there too. And on my list of favorite shows for sure, mm -hmm. especially when I look back at some of the video that the fans took and, and, and I can see the other artists on stage with me and, and how they're enjoying themselves and the smiles and, and the, the, right into the songs and. It was just great. So um, on uh, August, uh, no, I'm sorry, April 7th at Bose, uh, Mike Sable and Heartbroke Heroes, we have a show. Excellent. And um, and it's going to be the first big show. And we have my friend Ryan Hallmadal. I've mentioned him a few times. His project uh, is called Down Suite, and they're going to open for me. So one of the first musicians that I met at that first open mic is going to come <laughs> and open for me. And I've got these amazing amazing musicians on stage with me uh singing my songs that i've written over these past few years and uh and curtis and i are gonna have have uh, we're gonna have a show at red heart on the 21st of january here shortly and as a duo and we've called ourselves clearwater and uh again it's going to be mostly my songs curtis wants to, to to join me on stage with his bass fiddle and sing harmonies for, for me on my songs and I hope I can talk him into doing some of his too, because he's such a—he's uh, just such a great songwriter and performer. So we'll see where it all goes. But um, I've got lots going on between the solo stuff with and now the Clearwater with Curtis and and the band and where that might go. Um, we don't—we haven't painted any any hard plans in place, you know, around that. Um, you're just kind of taking one show at a time and see what happens with it. But I'd like to see it perpetuate into something um, regular, you know. Um, but I don't know what that would look like. And then the album, the, starting off this album with Heath West again and doing the second studio album with these other this other group of amazing musicians. Um, there's lots happening. 
in my world right now. And 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 if it wasn't for the people involved um, wanting to be involved with the songs, it wouldn't be happening. You know, this wasn't because I went out and said, "Hey, do you want to do this? Hey, do you want to do this?" Or I got this plan. Again, it it really hasn't been my plan. It's just it's just been it's just been happening. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. When you started performing after you quit drinking, was it difficult to be in those environments? You know, um, I kind of remember it because when I started going to the open mics, I was going to my 90 meetings in 90 days. Okay. And, um, and I was fresh into my sobriety. Um, I had quit smoking the year before that. I don't know. Somehow I did that backwards where I quit smoking the year before I quit drinking. <laughs> so, um, um, but I don't remember it ever being difficult. I mean, um, I, I came to accept that, I came to accept the truth of my alcoholism so that when I did get a craving, and I don't, I, I stopped labeling my craving. It's like, if I thought about a beer, it was a craving. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk myself into something else. I, it was just a craving. And when that happens, one of the things that the counselor at Alberta Mental Health uh, helped me understand was how to play it out in my head where it will go if I do. Oh, okay. And that started to just become natural very, very quickly. Like, ooh, beer would be good. Oh, but if I did that, then I'd have another one because I can't just have one. And then I'd probably end up having, and then I'd, and then I'd, and then I'd, and then I'd, and then mm-hmm. very quickly in my head. And now it, it happens fairly instantaneously. And for me, that's a powerful, um, that's powerful mental imagery because, you know, I've had all those years of proving to myself where it would go, you know, and trying to make all the excuses about it and everything else like that. So, um, it really wasn't. I remember the AA people being quite, surprised that I was doing it and and I heard often like oh you shouldn't be doing that you shouldn't be going there and blah, blah. and they probably right they were probably right but I never felt like I was in danger I think because I had made the choice mm-hmm. on my own finally you know and you also had another reason to be there oh and a passion yeah that, that I you know all of a sudden yeah and from that very first open mic um I walked in there, and I almost didn't. I almost was too afraid to, because I knew that if I went in there, then I'd have to get up on stage and sing, and I, I had never done that since I was a teenager when it failed miserably. I did it once as a teenager, and and that wasn't a good experience. And uh, I think I just thought from that point on that, no, this isn't for me. I'm not that guy, right? <clears throat> and then when I walked into the open mic with my guitar, the first person I saw was my buddy Ron, and he was playing, and he had hair down his back, silver hair. And he had uh, he was playing a big guild jumbo guitar, and he had mucklucks up to here. And I thought, oh, I, I think I'm in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> and he was great. And then I sat down beside Ryan, and we started talking, and very quickly we became comfortable. And, I, and the first song I played was uh, Jackson Brown's song, uh, The Road. And... Uh, the two guys that kind of manned the open mic were David Gilmore from Red Deer, who builds Gilmore Guitars. Used to be the music director for Z99 for many years. 
um, very well-known individual in Red Deer and, and someone I've, I've come to become close friends with. And the other fellow was Pete Christian, and he goes by Peterbilt. And, uh, and, and he, was, um, he was just a really open, warm, welcoming person and would get up on stage and play along with you and support you. And um, I actually invited him to come to the open mic at, uh, at uh, the Olive couple nights ago um, but he was out driving he drives truck but he said play the road for me so so he remembered <laughs> he remembered from seven years ago that that was the first song isn't that something that's pretty cool so I did I, yeah that was one of the songs I played the other night yeah did I answer your question or Absolutely. I got off on a tangent that was fantastic man <laughs> yeah. that was cool it's so nice you've been always a, a pleasure um, anytime i run into a show you at a show i'm always stoked nice. your your being has always been very welcoming and i don't know almost fatherly uh, <laughs> well, just... that's that's a, that's that's a very kind compliment yeah um you've made it easy though i mean you're very open and welcoming too zach and 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 uh and the Red Deer community. Shout out to the Red Deer community. I'm you, yeah, <laughs> oh the, my gosh, man. It, it's an amazing place, you know. And I hear comparisons made to the to the big cities and things. And I'm and I'm and I know that the big cities have a, a, a strong, vibrant community as well. Um, but I've heard many times that this is a special place, and and um, and I don't know. You know, we had the Red Deer College music program and, and everything that for years was going on. And so many of the people that I know now came from that. And it's so sad that they don't do it anymore. And I know it was because of enrollment and stuff, but they also made that decision, you know, I don't know. I, th I think that I wish they would look at reopening it because the positive effects of that in, in our community, um, those people are the heartbroken heroes they're 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 the ones that want to be part of my band and are going to help me in ways that only people with that kind of an education and that kind of a passion for music and they've been in it their whole lives you know um and some of them actually work through that program as as teachers and instructors too um i i just yeah i think maybe that has been a big part of the red deer music community even though a lot of us that go to the open mics don't know that, if you go to a place like um, um, the Central Central Festival Music Society, I think it's called, they have shows they hold at the Elks Club. It's basically a folk music club, and they bring in players like, well, you name it. Jack Semple is playing there soon, great jazz player. And, uh, Jack DeKaiser, not long ago, Valdi. You know, from, that's from my area. A lot, a lot of people your age don't know who I'm talking about when I say Valdi, and I'm kind of stunned by that. But um, a lot of those folks that go there also came through that program. Some of them taught at that program. One of them taught my daughter Elise when she went to the theater program there. And I think that that is a, is a part that's, that's missing, and I wish that they would revisit that and bring back and, and find a way. And, you know, if the enrollment's not there, sell it. Yeah, you kind of sometimes you got to work to fill the seats, right? <laughs> and and, as and musicians, no, 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 as no different, no, no different for a, a college. 
or a polytechnique or whatever they call it now, but yeah. then, then it's a business, right? Exactly. So, you know, if you don't have the people working hard enough to fill the seats, you got to get the right people. And maybe, I don't know if that's part of the issue or not. So I've never been in that academia world. I don't have a right to really speak of it other than um, I'm affected by it, by the people that I'm surrounded by who were in that academia world. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that's one of the messages that comes out you know, this year and down the road, and maybe I, I don't know. Because it'd be nice to see the option available for, you know, kids now. Maybe maybe the yeah. the teens' perspective has shifted. And, I, and not even saying it has to be teens, because I've even thought about enrolling in a music program yeah. in the last couple of years just to, whether that's the push. That, I know that I have certain goals musically, and I'm not sure on the best way to, to get there. And so just looking at what options are available. Well, the world seems to be really focused on... Um, I, don't, I don't know really if, if this... I mean, you hear about AI and this and that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and there is culture, and culture is a big part of things, but... It, uh, it, how do you get how do you get how do you hold on to the things that are that 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 are at the core of humanity i think and music i think is absolutely at the core of humanity um um creativity and expression art painting all those things um the more of that we push off to the side and let go to make room for the ai people and the people that come in and are trying to make humans do you know, artificial. I got a song about that too. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think, um, but again, I spent most of my life not caring about any of that, and now I do. So, you know, um, how, how somebody like me would have reached out and touched somebody that I was, you know, would could have, you know, I don't know. It's it's a difficult thing. Humanity is a convoluted thing, but. I think I think the cultural side of humanity needs to be needs to needs to be an important part of of who we are and what we strive to maintain. Yeah, and it needs to be a part of 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 the plan going forward, right? Yeah. So, I don't know where people go to to do the music programs now like that was here. I don't know. They still have the theater here. It's a beautiful theater, and it hardly gets used, as far as I know. Why aren't they using it to to support the local musicians that are here more? Because they don't have the person filling the seats, you know? So, I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to. <laughs> I feel like I'm supposed to be the one on the stage. But yeah. Sounds like you should go start harassing the polytechnic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's funny how that goes, though, you know, like, uh, it's almost like a song. It gets in my head, and, and, and it starts to, to fester and blister and bleed, and <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's a song. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think um, I think it's a missed opportunity the way it is now, so. Do you have any advice for anyone? either looking to get into music or thinking about getting sober? 
Hmm. Well, you know, I think the sober thing is is um, a lot of what I've already said is is it's uh, getting to the point where you finally and truthfully accept the truth of you. Um, the truth of me is that I am an alcoholic. I can't have one drink. I can't. I've been trying to prove otherwise my whole life, and I can't. And um, unfortunately, with addictions, um, many of us uh, addicts have to get to a, such a low point, and they call it the low. You have you haven't hit your low yet, so you know. Um, and in some cases people's low, low point is death. They don't recover, right? And with the, with the new drugs that are out there, I didn't have those when I was growing up. If I had, I probably would have been in big trouble. And, um, and uh, I think as much help as there is out there, none of it is going to help unless you want to live and you don't want to live the way you are it has to start it has to start from wanting to live for yourself and and finding a way to love yourself in most you know um, most addicts don't they don't and and some of the stuff that drives us um, is is horrendous it's hideous it's grotesque it's life experiences that should never have happened uh, you know but not for everybody a lot of us like me didn't have those i came from a beautiful family weird mm -hmm. but loving um pretty close um good values a lot of mixed messaging but you know i came from immigrant parents that came from war you know one landed here after the First World War. The other one landed after the Russian Revolution in Hungary, and and all that came with them too, right? And and uh, I was the spoiled Canadian kid growing up, so <laughs> so convoluted but still loving. And I didn't have those horrible experiences that some people do. Um, I yeah. So I I guess for addiction, not just alcoholism, but addiction period is it's smoking cigarettes do you want to live everybody knows they'll kill you eventually yeah but uh it won't be this one yeah but yeah <laughs> and and you know you, there's no guarantees you quit you does no guarantee you're gonna live I'm, a good friend of mine lives in bath has his whole life has lived an ultra healthy lifestyle and i was beating myself up on i was talking to him about and i was right about that time when i was i was going through my transition into sobriety I was talking to him about all the things I'd done wrong and the guilt and this and everything he, and he said Mike he said there's no guarantees you know I fly in a helicopter to work every day I'm probably more at risk of dying than you are right so he kind of put things in a perspective as he often has in, in our friendship so yeah I think I think and, you know, there was many times that I thought I was being honest with myself. You know, I'd call myself an alcoholic. And I'd even go to a meeting and say it. But in the back of my head, I always was planning on that next drink somewhere. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's not an easy journey. It's 
It's hard. And I'm grateful for the fact that I have found sobriety. But I also understand that um, I'm just one drink away from losing it all. And um, when I went to AA, I went to a meeting one day, and, and a lady was celebrating her 26th year of sobriety. So they have a birthday meeting where they have a cake, and that person has an opportunity to talk about their story. And, and what she talked about was how the year before, just after celebrating her 25th anniversary, she almost drank because she was in a lot of pain. And she said, it actually surprised me how close I got to it. And it just made me realize that the beast is always in the bush. And those words went in deep and stuck in my head. And it, was long, it wasn't long after that that uh, I heard of a 26-year, a 28-year sober person who started drinking again, who had just died, and one who was 32 years sober who started drinking again and very quickly just died. You don't go back to the beginning and start over. You go back to where you were. The alcoholism, it's always like, if I were to have a drink today, I'd be right where I was the last time I had a drink. Mm-hmm. Not where I started off 58 years ago. So that's that's another key thing to, to understand is, is the beast is always in the bush. As for the music... Um, I think if you have a passion for music, find a way to express it. And the open mics are a great way to start doing that. You know, um, none of us, I think, have confidence when we first do that. I think it terrifies us. I see it all the time. I had a lady come up the other night and ask me how I do it. And when she was on stage, I could see her hands shaking. She was terrified. But she sang. And my advice to her was, just fall into the song and serve the song. It's not about you. Um, if it's truly a, a love and a passion, that's where you'll find it. it, it it's, it's not about you. It's not about... I think there's people who, maybe like a Taylor Swift, who had an idea that they were going to be a superstar or a whatever. Um, I, I see those people too who are pursuing that dream. And it's no different a dream. It's theirs. Um, but I don't know. For me, it's, it, it, it was far more organic than that. I didn't know that I had a dream when I was playing around the campfires, but I did, you know. And I spent my years playing covers as some of the best songwriters ever, in my opinion, and singing their songs and trying to do justice to them. And I think after all those years, that has helped me write songs because I've been listening to and playing some really great songs my whole life. So I have an idea what that might sound like. Thank you for listening to this episode of Regulars Anonymous. If you want to find out more about our guests, please check the bio below for all their links and information. Thank you for supporting by subscribing and following the show. I might see you out there and have no idea who you are.